0: This week on Geek Explained, our month long spotlight series continues as I dive into an iconic and incredibly personal coming of age story. Join me as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Jean Lun Yang's American born Chinese. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host Eric Kazana and this week we are continuing our month-long spotlight series where every single week of the month of August I'm just taking a look at some of my favorite stories and telling you why they are so amazing. This week, we are diving into a story I've been wanting to cover for quite a while now, and that is Jean Loon Yang's American Born Chinese. Uh, this is an incredibly personal story for me and for many Asian Americans who have read this book, and this week I'm going to just talk about it i've been wanting to talk about this book for a while and so i figured why not now why not take the opportunity during this month of spotlighting books that i love and that hold a special place for me and just kind of you know Maybe I'll wax poetic. Maybe I'll get down into the nitty-gritty of why I love Jean Loon Yang's writing. We're going to be talking about it. We're also going to be diving into, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week, and there are some heavy hitters. So stick around after the jump for that. But... For now, let's roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree if you will, as I put the Geeksplain spotlight on Jin lu Yang's American Born Chinese. Was a kid, I hated being Asian. It's a really weird thing to think about now, um, but it's true. When I was a kid, I, you know, I was constantly trying to figure out who I was, and I had a real hard time with that because I was having more difficulties than I think I was prepared for. Um, Being someone who is of mixed descent, there's always that struggle of trying to feel like you fit in and not really feeling like you fit in. Like, I was always too Asian for, you know, my white friends. And the few Asian friends that I did come across growing up, I was too white to be... To feel like I could fit in with them. And it was frustrating. And on top of all that, I moved around a lot because I was a military brat. And so every, you know, three to four years, I'd have to upend my life and the friends that I had made, move somewhere else where I knew absolutely nobody, and just try and make it happen all over again before we inevitably got moved somewhere else. And so. I never really had a strong foundation on who I was as a kid. The only thing that seemed to be consistent is that if kids found out that I was Asian, I was made fun of. And that's not like... I, I don't want this to come across like, oh, woe is me, but, like, there is a certain amount of personal identity crisis that you can go through when you are someone of mixed descent, and it was a point of contention for me for a very long time, and, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I was the poster child for Asian American Kid, you know, big glasses, big big head bowl cut like i was everybody's asian friend if you can just think of that uh and it was maddening at times because i distinctly remember you know when i was a kid being called china boy and i mean i didn't know the delineation between different you know different regions of Asia and, like, all the different types of ethnicities and cultures that are within the, I guess, umbrella blanket of being Asian. And, I mean, the kids probably didn't know either, but that didn't make a difference to me. Like, it was really stressful. And I am pretty sure I'm not the only Asian-American kid who had difficulties like that and who at least, you know, I know I definitely had this feeling, you know, at least once wished that they could be somebody else. And as I've grown up, you know, I have struggled with that many a time. Um, I went through that pretty much all the way through, you know, my childhood into, you know, even high school. I had a really tough time with it. And it was only, I mean, really in the last... Probably 10 years that I've been able to start working my way out of this weird, you know, um, I think the word's called diaspora or something like that, uh, where I'm trying to get back in touch with my culture and with being okay with being Asian, which is, you know, the craziest thing to say, but there was along the way this story that I absolutely fell in love with and it's a story that I've wanted to talk about on the podcast for a while and it's a story that felt familiar and instantly you know hit at my heart the first time I read it and it's a story that I think is pretty universal when it comes to being someone of mixed ethnicity or even someone who is just, you know, part of an immigrant story. And that's American Born Chinese, the subject of this week's podcast and the third installment of our month-long Spotlight series. It's interesting to me because this month is obviously i've talked about it before it's my birthday month and it's you know the month i turned 30 this is a big landmark for me and as i was looking at what i wanted the schedule to be uh, i came up with this schedule of books that i wanted to talk about around around july to pull back some of the pull back a bit of the curtain for you listener and there this story just kind of came up to me um, and I've been wanting to cover it for a while. And so finally being able to just kind of sit down and talk about why it was so personal to me and why it meant so much to me, especially now, especially now as I am, you know, in my 30s and able to talk about some of the stuff that really bothered me as a kid. And I think I've been pretty open about this uh, on the podcast in different episodes and on different subjects. I mean, I've I've talked openly about one of the reasons that I love 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 Superman as a character is because his whole struggle for identity and trying to square the circle of being of two worlds always really resonated with me and it's something that drew me to the character and it's something that drew me to comic books because even though there are obviously characters who don't exactly match up with that uh, that same value that I have in Superman a lot of comic books are about finding your identity and trying to figure out who you're supposed to be and what your place is in the world and I genuinely can't think of a comic that, Touches on that more and what it's like to be an Asian American kid growing up in this weird and wacky world as American-born Chinese. So I'm gonna take the time to talk about it, but first I want to talk about the uh, the comic book creator who penciled and wrote this book, uh, Jean Lunyang. Gene Lunyang is a comics creator who I have spoken of very highly on the podcast many, 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 many times. And it's because there's a certain quality to his writing that has always really, I don't know, there's always something about him that's spoken to me. And I remember the first time that I was acquainted with him was during his run on Superman. And at the time, Superman was basically on his last legs. The New 52 version of of Superman. Um, he had just revealed this brand new power, the solar flare, which would leave him depowered for 24 hours. And so we were heading to the end of the New 52 Superman run. Uh, The baton had just been passed from Jeff Johns before ultimately being passed on to Peter J. Tomasi in the Rebirth run. So they needed someone to tell the story that led into Truth. The action comic story that everyone talks about, and rightfully so, by Greg Pak and Aaron Cuter, they needed to get from point A to point B of super-powered Superman to not-so-super-powered Superman, and so they brought in Gene Luen Yang to tell that story of how he got depowered, and so he got to tell both the preceding story as well as the story after Truth, like what happens next, ultimately leading up to the death of the New 52 Superman. Superman. And so this was the more or less the defining story for New 52 Superman in the DCU era, which DCYOU is the big uh, change up right before rebirth. But it did give us this depowered Superman as well as super heavy, which I love and adore with my whole heart. But back to Superman. So they gave the book to Gene Lun Yang to essentially do the Swan Song for Superman. And he got to tell the story of this Superman who was trying to figure out what his place is in the world now that he's not this nigh invincible demigod. And I really dug his his voice for Superman and as i got to learn more about him as a writer learning that you know he was a he was an asian american creator in comics it meant a lot to me and when dc rebirth rolled around and i found out oh my god he's doing an asian superman i was hype was through the roof I had to read New Superman and New Superman is a book that I am absolutely going to be covering one day and I've got plans here and there but I'm really excited to eventually talk about it because I love that book. I love that book to death and I just I couldn't stop thinking about Gene Lun Yang's voice for Superman and his perspective on why that character spoke to him. And over the years, I really got to see him tackle characters that I love and characters that I've gained a better appreciation for. Um, of course, I'm always going to talk about Superman Smashes the clan. I did a full episode on that on the podcast long ways back. Uh, go check it out in the archives. It was, I think one of my birthday episodes, which is hilarious. Uh, it's a book that I love and it's a book that I will hand to literally anyone and everyone. And again, uh, his perspective on, superman and why he matters and why he's relevant and why he as a character is someone who yang continues to go back to was really incredible and then i got to see him work his magic again on shang chi and continue to work his magic on shang chi he's been absolutely crushing it on that book and As time went on I started to dive deeper into his catalog and the book that you know was my first introduction into his creator-owned stuff was American-born Chinese and I remember finding out about it and basically being given the the elevator pitch that oh it's you know his comic book about being an Asian American and what it's like to grow up that way and I was like, okay, but there's gotta be something about it, right? There's gotta be, you know, some kind of greater like bombasticness to it. And while there is some of that, there is um there is a lot of misdirection and get and it gets into mythology. It's really just a story about someone coming to terms with who they are. And That I, you know, I would go out on a limb and say that's a through line through all of his work. Uh, Jin Lun Yang is a wonderful writer and he's a cool he's a cool guy, too. He just really is. Um, I met him at WonderCon. It was really cool. I got to sit in on one of his panels. It was uh, the day that I got to go as Shang-Chi, meet up with all of my other Shang-Chi's. Shout out to all of them. Um, And right after we did the big old like group photo shoot and meet up and everything, I got to jump into his panel and I got to ask him a question about, you know, why he... why Superman resonates with him as a creator Uh, his answer was super insightful and afterwards we got to take a picture together and it was it was just the coolest thing I thought it was amazing and he just is a really cool down-to-earth guy and I don't know I really adore him as a writer and I think that he has he's got like a rocket ship on his back right now because he is everywhere and rightfully so and this book really does get into why his writing resonates so much with me. So, talking about the book itself, American Born Chinese is mainly about three different stories. Um, it's it, They seem really disconnected at first. It's three stories told almost in parallel, but they don't seem like they would have a whole lot of you know a whole lot to do with each other uh the first story that's involved is more or less recounting the story of sun wukong the monkey king and all of his mythology and the second story is about i mean arguably our main character who is uh jin wang a kid an asian american kid growing up who is dealing with all of the stuff that we as asian american kids would deal with anytime we would you know meet other kids who maybe weren't as learned on asian culture as you know we are now or more accepting of it let's say and the third character who we follow the third story i guess who we follow is this character named danny who is this uh who seemingly who is this white kid more or less dealing with this very weird sitcom situation where his cousin Chin Key, uh is coming to visit, and I'll be honest with you, the first time I read this, it was a very tough read. It's still a tough read to get through, especially now because. Chin Key is this character who is incredibly stereotypical. He's very stereotypical Asian. All of his R's are L's and vice versa. He's drawn in a way that's very, very offensive. And he's got all these really terrible, stereotypical Asian affects. Um, all of his luggage are you know Chinese takeout boxes he is looking for a white American girl that he can bind and bear his children and like it's just he's eating cats and dogs it's really like it's offensive shit and it's meant to be that way it's meant to be really cringe and you don't find out until later why it is that way and the struggle that all three of these characters are going through is the same struggle that I went through growing up. You know, I never really had a firm grasp on who I was or who I wanted to be. And all three of these characters, the Monkey King, uh, Jin, and Danny, are all struggling with who they are. Uh, we'll start with Danny. He has a really hard time squaring the circle of him and uh chin key because they are so different it's set up in this weird like old school uh sitcom way where it's got like the laugh track and he's doing all these things i don't want to like make the parallel because i feel like that's taking a lot of the nuance away from it but it's very much like he's a steve urkel type or you know he chinky is this character who is wild and wacky and dropped into a situation where he's just embarrassing danny all the time and the fact that the two are related and people start looking at danny differently because of it is i mean it's the struggle right for anybody who's you know who is mixed race asian american you have a hard time trying to balance both sides i know i did when i was a kid it i got made fun of for being asian a lot so i tried to push that down as far as i could and i would you know i'm I'm not gonna like get super in-depth because it's not you know again this isn't like oh you know let me just get super uh what is the word, Uh, super existential on what I want to, you know, talk about, though, I guess that's what this book is about. But it was a struggle for me to kind of figure out what was presentable. And what wasn't, what things I had to hide and what things that I could be okay with sharing with people. And that's largely Danny's story. There's a moment where he's talking to a friend of his and he is getting really defensive about, like, I'm not like Chinky. Like, I just, I want you to know. And that's not even the conversation that they're having. But it weighs so much on him that he feels like he has to defend himself even when the need to defend himself isn't there and i for sure know how that is you know there's always been this incredibly terrible stereotype as there is with most uh, poc uh culture when it comes to how it is depicted in hollywood and how it's sometimes demonized and all of the really batshit insane ways that people have been marginalized over the years in pop culture that it's difficult to tell people at least it was for me i I don't want to say like this is a blanket statement but I'll, i'll just speaking from my perspective and from my experiences sometimes it would be difficult to tell people I was Asian because undoubtedly and inevitably every single time the question would come up, do you eat dogs? And I got tired of answering that question. And I got tired of people assuming things about me because they thought that they had a handle on who I was just because of my ethnicity. And it was... Stressful and frustrating and so I started to push that down and get defensive any anytime someone would call me, you know It's like, oh, it's my Asian friend like I oh man that shit used to bother me When I was in high school, like I didn't have any Asian friends because there were very few of us in high school and Just like with another character in this book, you know it was kind of assumed that all of the Asian kids knew each other or were related to each other, and it, you know, it frustrated me. And so I distanced myself from all of the other, you know, all of the other Asian kids, and there was a lot of that growing up because we didn't want to feel like we were all just grouped together. And so Danny's story spoke to me a lot, but his story isn't the only one about trying to become okay with yourself uh speaking on the monkey king sun wukong his whole story is also about self-acceptance because sun wukong is this character who most people know as you know journey to the west and you know the basis for popular characters like goku and a lot of people don't know or at least don't have as as uh well a handle on his origins and the story of how he got to journey in the west and this book does dive into that it talks about how the monkey king wants so bad to be part of you know this upper echelon of gods and these characters and these deities who are basically on their version of Mount Olympus and partying and just having a grand old time and so he wants to be part of that he's the monkey king he believes that he's just as worthy as they are and so in the story he tries to attend their you know secret god party and tries you know he's done all the work he's done all the homework he is mastered kung fu and he believes that he has done enough to achieve this status of being just as worthy of godhood as the rest of these characters and these spirits have and when he arrives they still don't accept him they still don't accept who he is because of this notion and it's a lesson that sadly i think a lot of you know mixed race or you know poc kids learn growing up you can do all the work you can say the right things hold yourself the right way wear the right clothes and some people will just still never accept you which is a hard truth and it's something that eventually i had to be okay with and something that I had to accept that no matter how hard you work to try to fit in, there are some people who just won't accept you. And that's the lesson that uh, that the Monkey King learns here because they still ridicule him even though he's done all the work, he's worthy, he has mastered the, the what, the four disciplines, the four major heavenly disciplines, and they still don't allow him into the party because... He's still a monkey. They say, here, this is the panel. He says, look, you may be a king, you may even be a deity, but you're still a monkey. And, you know, this doesn't go over very well. The Monkey King lashes out, beats up everybody, and leaves, and then decides he's going to devote himself even further into Kung Fu. And he decides to build up his you know, his other disciplines, mastering Kung Fu even more so, learning transformation and immortality and all this stuff to change himself. And eventually he learns enough and he grows his abilities and his strength and his godhood enough that he can become this other person. And he barely even resembles the original Monkey King and all of the monkeys that he Uh, rules over and feels comfortable with he's you know walking upright he's wearing shoes wearing just he he's changed himself to the point that he's unrecognizable to the people who love him and i know that growing up i did that a lot You know, I was constantly chasing the trends. I wanted to look like the other kids. I wanted to sound like the other kids. I wanted to act like the other kids. And what he learns is that they're still not going to accept him. And so this takes him on a journey of trying to fight with basically the omnipotent one, the lord above all and it doesn't go well for him and he is trapped eventually under this mountain of rocks this gigantic mountain where he is sealed there because he doesn't know the he won't stop trying to basically fight everybody until they accept him and it's only through the beginning of the journey to the west when he is encountered by this uh basically this monk who is burdened with glorious purpose i guess who talks to him about you know accepting himself and trying to release all this resentment for who he is that his story is able to continue and it's just this it's this wonderful story about, again, coming to terms with yourself and learning that accepting yourself is going to be more validating than a hundred other people accepting you who wouldn't respect who you are. So it's it's again, a story that punches me straight in the gut. And it's a story that resonates with me just as much as the story of our third protagonist, Jin Wang. Jin is, Jin's story is the story that really, for me, kind of struck at the heart of why I loved this book so much. Uh, Jin is this kid who uh, his parents uh, immigrated, and he is this... He's this kid who doesn't feel like he's accepted anywhere he goes. He deals with all of the stuff of moving to a new place, teachers getting his name wrong, um, people just assuming he's from China when really he was born in San Francisco. And, like, it's, it's all the stuff that I experienced as a kid. And he goes through, you know, liking girls and, you know, people not accepting him for who he is there's this there's this really maddening moment and it frustrated the hell out of me because it was a it was a moment that i had experienced uh when i was a kid where this kid who he is idolized uh this white kid who he is idolized you know Basically comes up to him and says, hey, like, I know you went on a date with, you know, my friend and I just want you to not ask her out again because we're about to go into high school and she really needs to, you know, she really needs to pay better attention to who she's hanging out with. And it boiled my blood because I had been in that situation where I was really into somebody and you know I'm I'm not going to get into it because I'm going to be ranting about it for a while Uh, it was basically like you know you can't be interested in this person because their status or their social status or whatever is above you and it you know, it bothered the shit out of me. And it bothered the shit out of me in this book because Jin doesn't deserve that. Nobody deserves that, regardless of where you come from, who you are, what your background is. Uh, luckily, Jin does have a friend who is another uh, another immigrant, and I don't want to get too you know heavy into his story because I don't want to spoil it, but he is a kid who has to lean on Jin because he is even less acclimated to, you know, Western and, you know, American culture than Jin is. And this character, whose name is uh, Wei Sun, he is... I'm just going to say, he's a fob. And if you're unfamiliar with the term fob, it means fresh off the boat, where they are not quite um they're not quite as acclimated because they are uh as the title states uh, a direct immigrant from another country and so it's really it's, it's really interesting to me that they have both of these characters um Wei Chen is this character who on his first meeting with Jin he's you know, speaking to him in uh, in Chinese. And Jin immediately is just like, you're in America, you have to speak English. And so immediately we have these two kids whose perspectives on being Asian in America are very different. And when you start to learn about Wei Chen's backstory and you start to learn about his, you know, where he's coming from in his perspective, you get a you get a better understanding of why it's so difficult to be kind of caught up between two worlds and two cultures and Jin's story is largely about trying to trying to square the circle of him being this person and wanting to be somebody else he wants desperately to be accepted he wants people to try to see him for who he is not who they perceive him to be and as the story continues he loses sight of who he is because he's so focused on who people want him to be on who he thinks people want him to be and ultimately all three of these stories though they do seem very separate at the start of the book do become intertwined in this really wonderful way and It's through that through line of trying to find out your place in the world and come to terms with your identity that the book really shines. And it is, again, I think a universal story. It's not just a story for Asian American kids, though I think you are going to gain a lot if you did grow up with that experience it's a universal story on growing up not knowing who you are and trying to figure out who you want to be and it's peppered through with all of these other characters who you know both support and detract from the journeys of all three of our leads you know each one of them has an obstacle whether direct or indirect, and seeing how the three of them overcome those obstacles is really delightful. And it gives it gives this sense of, even though they may not have completed their journey by the end, they have gone on to find who they are and figure out why they ultimately need to be accepting of themselves before other people can accept them. And that's something that I had to deal with a lot when I, you know, eventually had to confront this feeling of why am I not happy with myself and why am I shunning this entire half of my identity because I want to fit in because I want you know people to stop associating with me the terrible uh stereotypes that had been associated with my culture and with cultures like mine it was a journey that i had to take on in a journey that is not easy and it's a journey that i'm still on to be honest you know in the last i would say 10 or so years and especially in the last you know three or four years I've been reconnecting with that side of my family I've been reconnecting with that side of my culture and my identity and learning and spending more time appreciating all of the stuff that I took for granted as a kid and by the end of this book there is a there is a definite feeling even though you don't get the and they lived happily ever after kind of ending you come away knowing that these characters at least for now and at least you know in the scope of this story are on that journey and that they come away from the story and the events in the story understanding themselves a little bit more which i really appreciate it's a it's a universal experience i think that we are over time going to question ourselves, our place, our identity, our self-worth when it comes to the greater world and the society and whatnot. And as I am going into my 30s, I'm hoping that I go into this new decade with a better understanding of why I feel this way. And with hopefully a better understanding of why I need to accept all aspects of myself. And I think that's that's a lesson that we can all take. Um, the story is thankfully uh, not super obscure for people. People are hearing about it more and more every day, which I love. Um, I believe there's even an adaptation being made which is really exciting both for uh Jean yang as well as for all of the uh, people who are going to finally get to see a story like this told um i don't know much about the adaptation past that but i'm really excited to watch it and the biggest hope that i have for that adaptation is that it continues to carry the lessons that the story does and i think it will I think it's going to continue to tell this universal story of acceptance and identity and just learning how to be yourself when you don't really know who that is yet. Because I think at the end of the day, regardless of your age, regardless of what journey you're on, regardless of where you're at, on that journey, it's good to stop for a moment and realize how far you've come. I was very uh, ashamed of being Asian American when I was a kid. And it's taken me a really long time to love that part of myself. And it's an ongoing journey and an ongoing struggle and it's something that i now don't feel so alone about i have connected with so many other people who have gone through the very same stuff and it's comforting to know that you are not to know that i'm not on this journey alone and i hope that if you are someone who is also on that journey that you know that you're not alone Because it took me a really long time to figure that out. It took wandering into my comic shop after being enchanted with Superman and New Superman and finding out about this little book that the writer of both of those books did in 2006, telling a story about a kid who grew up Asian, just like me, not knowing who to be, just like me and finding out that all you need to be is you. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown! This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we gotta take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And there were some contenders, let me tell you, but ultimately... Because we had so many books, I had to decide on a tie, and it was a tie between World's Finest Number 6, written by Mark Wade, with art by Travis Moore, and One Bad Day, Riddler Number 1, written by Tom King, with art by Mitch Jarrods. Both of those books were just, oh, so freaking good. I could not stop thinking about either of them for the rest of the day after i read them they were incredible um the world's finest book continues to be one of the strongest books at dc and of all comics right now of the big two specifically and that one bad day riddler special makes me very excited to see what the rest of this one bad day series is so go check out those books go check out all the good books that came out this past week but That's last week. This week, we've got eight books for you to check out right here. So let's kick things off with Defenders Beyond Number Two, written by Al Ewing with art by Javier Rodriguez. I really, really enjoyed the first issue. I'm kind of sad that they just tossed away female Loki right away. I kind of hope that she comes back, but we'll see. Uh, This book is exactly what you want it to be a little trippy. Very cosmic and very fun. So I'm excited to dive into this. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the synopsis. The second cosmos. The adventure begins in the path of the beyonder. When Loki, Blue Marvel, America Chavez, Taya, and Tigra land rather unexpectedly in the second cosmos, they find their lives in the hands of its cosmic overseers, unless Loki can figure out the right trick to save them all. I love this team. I think they're wacky. It's a weird team lineup, which I think works really well for the story that they're telling. And I'm just really excited to continue on with the story. So definitely pick this one up. Next up, we have Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number four. This is written by Tochion Yubuchi with art by RB Silva and Zay Carlos. And I mean... It's a good time to be a Captain America fan. I mean, we've all seen the artwork, have we not? Captain America, Sam Wilson, and Nomad Ride again. Ian is coming back, and I cannot wait. It's going to be great, but until then, we've still got a really strong story. Uh, Sam Wilson just, he looks right, he looks correct, as Captain America and I'm just having a great time with both cat books right now so let's go ahead and dive into this synopsis Sam Wilson uncovers a plot that poses an imminent threat to both the U.S. and Wakanda. But Wakanda doesn't want to play ball with Captain America. Faced with an impossible decision, Sam tries to do what's best for both countries. But will his gamble pay off or cost him dearly? And what interest do the elusive White Wolf and his ally Crossbones have in the outcome? Lots of cool stuff. I love the... Espionage, the political thriller uh, aspects that are in this story, I, I, I really like it. It's a really good book. Next up, we have Batman: White Knight Presents Red Hood Book Two. This is written by Sean Murphy and Clay mccormack with art by Simone de Mie- Simone DiMeo. I oh, that's real hard for me today. Apparently, uh, Simone DiMeo. That's what I'm going with. Uh, I really enjoyed the first issue of this. I don't know how many issues this is, but I like this side story. I am interested in this story they're telling. Uh, It's set in the era, or at least maybe right before the era of Beyond the White Knight. So we've got an older Jason Todd. He's got a new Robin, and they're dealing with Shriek Unjust. I mean, unequivocally one of, if not the best, Batman Beyond villains, so I'm super stoked to continue this story. Let's dive into the synopsis. After being reluctantly recruited to bring Justice to the east backport neighborhood of Gotham, Jason Todd is back in the hero business. With an all-too-eager sidekick gone by his side, he's on the road to becoming one of the good guys again. And after all the damage Bruce Wayne did to his childhood, he's hell-bent on creating the Ultimate Robin, no matter the cost. But when the new Dynamic Duo's first challenger comes a-calling, will they be up to the task? Shriek is ready to turn up the stereo and blow our heroes away. Yeah, I dig it. Really, really like it. Can't wait to pick it up. Next up, we have The Amazing Spider-Man. Number 8, written by Zeb Wells with art by John Romita Jr., This book's been phenomenal. Uh, We are about to hit a big status quo change. So I'm very interested to see how this goes. Let's dive into the synopsis. Spider-Man has a new costume and accessories that look vaguely familiar. Is that a glider? Yeah, that's it. That's the synopsis. And the cover does show Spider-Man in his new goblin tech outfit. So... After the last issue, I'm very interested to see how we actually get here. I can't wait to pick this up for sure. Next up, we have Tales of the Human Target number one, written by Tom King with art by Kevin Maguire, Mikkel Janine, Raphael Albuquerque, and Greg Smallwood. This is essentially your stopgap between season one and season two of Human Target, uh, where we're basically going to get an anthology story with different artists in each story I love all of these artists, so I'm very excited about this. Uh, Let's dive into the synopsis. Building on the most critically acclaimed series of the year, Tom King and four of comics' top artists tell the tales of what happened before Chance drank Luther's poison. Chance teams up with fan-favorite members of the JLI and four connecting mysteries that lead them to that fateful day when one of them will kill the human target. So, If you are following the Human Target book, I don't think you want to miss this. It it very easily sounds like it could be, oh, just more Human Target stuff that doesn't really connect. But knowing Tom King and how he constructs his stories, as well as the fact that the synopsis plainly spells it out for you, there will be clues! In this book, on who ultimately killed him, of course, theories are abound. Lots of fingers and arrows are pointing to a couple different characters, but this one is going to you know, tighten that noose, as it were, to find out who just decided to kill this human target character. So I'm very excited about this. I've been loving the human target book. Can't wait for season two. Can't wait for the book to come back. So this is going to be a good way to sate that appetite for now next up we have shang chi and the ten rings number two this is written by jean Lun yang with art by marcus to and a really strong first outing from this new rebrand which just continues the last run with the same exact creative team but has a new title for synergy and i'm gonna be honest I overlooked it because the issue was just that damn strong. Uh, The hunt is on, basically. Uh, Shang-Chi now has a big old target on his back, or more accurately, on his arms, because everyone wants those ten rings. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Old friends. The hunt is on. Now that the Ten Rings have become public knowledge, every villain in the Marvel Universe is coming for Shang-Chi. Not great timing, then, for old flame Leiko Wu to show up with a mission to save their old spy friend Clive Reston. Can Shang-Chi save his friend while protecting the Ten Rings at the same time? The epic new era of Shang-Chi continues. So it sounds like this new direction is going to be blending a lot of shang chis stories from more of his classic uh, Shang-Chi espionage era to this more modern superhero era for him. So I'm very excited. I've been gushing about Jin Lun Yang this entire episode, so let's just move right along. We have, next up, Detective Comics number 1063. This is written by Rom V and Cy Spurrier with art by... The Boy, Raphael Albuquerque, and Danny. And, again, really strong first outing for the new era of Detective Comics. I didn't know how I was going to feel because I was so attached to the uh, Mariko Tamaki era. But, I mean, if it's going to be as strong this whole time, you, you got me. I am absolutely in on this. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Old friends Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent share a moment together, asking, at what point does Gotham not need a Batman anymore? As Batman's investigation around Gotham leads him to encounter more and more demonic beings, the one thing they all have in common is they're all people he fights to keep off the streets and behind bars. But when Two-Face appears asking Batman for help, is he friend or foe? And whatever's going on with Batman already too late to do anything about? Is he the detective of the devil? Really strong stuff. Uh, I love this. The approach to make this a gothic opera is something that I guess isn't, you know, breaking new ground. But the treatment of it feels like that. And of course, Raphael Albuquerque's art is going to make anything just pop and be incredibly amazing so i absolutely love it cannot wait to pick this up but the big book of the week the book i think you should absolutely be picking up is judgment day number three this is written by kieran gillen with art by valerio Schiti. this event rules it's kicking ass the tie-ins have been wonderful i've been loving the event so far all the major players are bringing it To say the least. And I'm very excited to see how this story continues. Let's go ahead and dive into this synopsis. Judgment Day begins. The heroes know what they have to do. But do they have to do it? They were smart enough to get themselves into this mess. Maybe they can be smart enough to get out of it. So yeah, the whole deal with the Eternals and the Avengers and the X-Men... All the way culminating into the reveal of now we have a Celestial who is going to... or a, Yes, Celestial who is going to judge the Earth. Huge. Big, big deal. That's why it can be issue three of this event and say Judgment Day now begins. <laughs> so everyone essentially has 24 hours to be on their best behavior or to figure out a way to circumvent this judgment. I'm very excited to continue on this. So this has been wonderful and i can't wait to continue the event and that is going to do it for this week's comics countdown so to recap we have defenders beyond number two captain america symbol of truth number four batman white knight presents red hood number two the amazing spider-man number eight tales of the human target number one shang chi and the ten rings number two Detective Comics number 1063 and Judgment Day number three. Like I said at the top of this episode, lots of heavy hitters, lots of really good comics. You better be tuning in because it's a good time to be a comics fan. And that is going to bring us to the wrap up. If this is your first time joining us on the Explain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday and honestly ratings reviews and especially subscriptions really does help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Kind of raises our stock up and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five star writing on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. I will be forced to read it. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky is the limit. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafar ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, lock and AZ sass and jedi jesse 20 want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews and i cannot wait to hear yours if you want to be part of the Explained mailbag, send your emails to geekexplained@gmail.com at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header. I will read them here on the show if you've ever had a question for me, maybe you want to request an episode, you want recommendations on something we haven't covered yet, send me your emails. I will read them. I read everything you do send me, and if you want, I can read it on the show as well. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. that's at Explained P-O-D. There's lots of stuff to talk about in geek culture, basically all the time, so if you want to get a direct line to me, that is the way to do it. That's also where we'll be announcing when episodes go up, future episodes, announcements for guests and different uh series that are going on so if you want to keep up to date you want to know what the haps are with the podcast that is the place to do it finally every single friday i alongside my amazing friends are putting on the geek Explain book club malcolm russell nelson jacob brown and myself are giving you the geek Explain book club every single friday we just wrapped up the days of th- Thunder, where we went through every single issue of every single volume of Jason Aaron's Thor saga, seven years of comics, eight technically, Wedged right into 11 weeks of podcasting and of book club reading, we went through all of Jason Aaron's Thor as well as Jane Foster Valkyrie last Friday. So get caught up on all of that because this week we are taking a bit of a break before we dive into the continuing adventures of Peter Parker on Earth 1610 with Ultimate Comics Spider-Man next Friday, issues 1 through 6, that's volume 1 taking a break this friday to give you time to breathe between all of the thor and the rest of the year's ultimate Comics spider-man there's gonna be a lot but for those of you who want to continue on the fun with the book club boys uh next week Next week, we are rounding out the August Spotlight series by bringing back Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown to join me as we dive into Daniel Warren Johnson's Beta Ray Bill. I adore this book. I love this book to death. It is a book that made me cry. So, of course, we got to get Asgard's Finest back to talk about it. So, join us next week for the final installment of the August Spotlight series as I, Malcolm, and Jacob tackle Beta Ray Bill by Daniel Warren Johnson. Look for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But, for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I have been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.